Hi, my name's Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders here at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. For more information about us, please visit citychurchleeds.net or find us on all the usual social media websites. Take care and enjoy what's coming up. few weeks ago we had Jeff Newton speak a wonderful word on tithing and I recommend you visit citychurchleads.net and, and catch up on that uh, and, and just listen to it because it was, it was brilliant. It was from perspective on tithing that you may or may not have, have thought about before. Uh, and now this week we are blessed with hearing from Mike Ayres. Can we have a big cheer for Mike? Um, and Mike's going to share a bit about his journey and he's going to share about money. So, Mike, over to you. Bless you, buddy. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Um, when Mark asked me to speak, I thought, fantastic, opportunity to speak about fell running, because I'm a passionate fell runner. Um, and I said, oh, fell running, you could talk about fell running and um, how fell running has a lot of parallels with Christianity and how the life in the kingdom mirrors some of the things we have to experience as, or we do experience as fell running. But he said, no, later on. You will have to talk about something else today. Um, so, Mark has asked me to <laughs> so Mark has asked me to talk about um, money or finances. Now, um, money, according to, to many, makes the world go around. Uh, I'm not sure that Newton would have believed that, um, but uh, we actually know what they mean. Uh, does, does God need money? Oh, by the way, this does sometimes require you to say yes or no, or agree, or shout. Sarah's sitting at the front here so she can heckle me. But of course, God doesn't need money. Um, uh, and there's rather a lot in the Bible about money, but it's not just about money, it's about giving and receiving. And, and what I want to do today is really take you through my experiences. This is from me um, and, and what I have learned. How about some basics? There are, of course, these standard verses about money, the classic being the, the love of money is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy 6.10. Um, yep, that's good, we can understand that. And, and this one, which was perhaps a little harder for me <coughs> because um, um, I, I run a business and I suspect that's why I've been asked to do because I run a business. Uh, I employ something at least like 35 people. Um, actually, I can't remember exactly how many. I have to count up every time, and it's getting rather a lot. And uh, we turn over heading on towards two million pounds a year. So we're doing quite well at the moment, praise God. Um, and uh, it, has, it was my intention at one time to become extremely wealthy. Um, and that is still my intention. Uh, and, and perhaps why not? But when you're faced with this, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. I think, oh, okay, perhaps, perhaps poverty has something to suggest for itself. So, is money bad? No, actually, not necessarily. Uh, it is a com- it's a commodity for getting things done. The temple could not have been rebuilt without it. In 2 Kings 12, there is encouragement from the priest, 
bring us your money so that we can buy stone, wood, tools, employ laborers to rebuild the temple. Money was necessary. The patriarchs were rich men. Even Job was rich, twice. Um, and so I thought, well, let's, let's bring it up to date about what about modern day uh, evangelists, people who we would look up to, people who we think, these are men of God. Billy Graham's net worth is around about 25 million. But you can say, well, actually, he's earned that. He's been a, a servant of God. He's preached to about, I think it's something like 250 million people over the time. Looking at some of the statistics. Now, if, that is, if he isn't a servant of God, who is? Um, so money isn't bad, but it can be very destructive in the wrong hands or perhaps in the right hands with the wrong attitude. Now, there's an awful lot of text there, but this is the one about, this is the, uh, the text um, where uh, Jesus is talking about going through, uh, rich men going through the eye of the needle. And here is our salvation, if you like, for those who aspire to be wealthy. And, and there are good reasons to, be, to aspire to be wealthy, actually. Um, and this isn't actually preaching about prosperity and things. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So, back to me, my early years. There we go. That's... Young Michael, I'm the one holding the donkey, by the way. Uh, I'm about, I can't, I, don't, I can't remember this, of course. It, uh, that I must be about one, 15 months old there. Um, and I still have that donkey. I still have that donkey, although I don't play with it quite as often. Um, I, I was, I was uh, born in Swindon while my father was at the Royal Military College, and I'm one of five children. Um, and now, in those days, the army officer's salary was not high, um, and we, uh, we weren't rich, uh, we weren't even particularly comfortably well off. Um, certainly with five children, there was a lot to spend, a lot of, a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of um, bodies to clothe, so things were tight. Um, now, in the army, because of the job that my father had, he was posted every two or three years between England and Germany and England and somewhere else in England. So our schooling was very disrupted. Um, we changed schools very regularly. So once I reached the age of 11, if I was going to get any sort of education, it was boarding school. Now, the army actually make provision for this because they know that they don't pay, or they did at the time, they didn't pay their soldiers very much. And so there were grants that would allow serving soldiers to send their children to boarding school to get some sort of education. So I ended up in boarding school at the age of 11, and um, my parents were somewhat dismayed to discover that the school outfitters were Harrods, uh, not known for their cheap clothes. Um, and so they were quite expensive. But my brother and I, my brother followed two years later, uh, went to boarding school on the Isle of Wight. And um, here's a photograph of young Michael um, at boarding school, looking somewhat hairy, amongst other somewhat hairy young individuals. Uh, yes, I had more hair in those days. Um, and from school, um, I learnt that pocket money was a luxury. 
um, didn't have very much at all, and then went on to university, to uh, London University. And in those days, again, it was a grant system rather than a loan system. Um, I'm not sure which is better. Uh, I think probably the grant system is better because I didn't come out of university with a huge debt, which is sadly the way that uh, students come out now, unless they're very fortunate and have parents like us who've been able to afford to put our children through university. Um, but my grant was 60 pounds a term. Now, that's not a lot to live on when, okay, my rent was only seven pounds a week, uh, but the term was at least 10 weeks. So that was it, you know, I had to live on the rest or what my parents would give me. So I, I remember some, with hindsight, perhaps rather sad occasions of eating sliced ham and dry bread in the locker room because I'd got nowhere else to go and very little to eat. Um, so I have, uh, I have, uh, I've been, poor is not quite the right word, but um, I have known what it's like not to have a lot of money. And then university days. Um, young Michael in, in my lab um, at university, and, and here um, I discovered actually with a postgraduate's grant I was far better off because I suddenly got some, not necessarily spare money, but I'd actually got more money. And uh, that was actually rather nice to actually be able to afford to go and eat at Chackwell's once a week. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure I could have afforded the after effects, but Chackwell's was certainly quite cheap. But it's, it's here that I, uh, whilst at university at Leeds, I became a Christian. And uh, I found that uh, finding God made me rich. Not in monetary terms. In fact, by the time I found God, which was 5th of August 1981, at around about 11.30 p.m., give or take a few seconds, um, knowing God took me out of one world and changed me forever. Absolutely. And, and it, it changed everything fundamentally, pretty much. Um, by the, time my, by the time I became a Christian, I had met Sarah, and Sarah was instrumental in me coming to God. But I was coming to the end of my research grant, uh, which ended in, well, in July 1981. And so from that period on, because I was slow and hadn't done my research as fast as I perhaps could have done, I ended up being on the dole and carrying on with my research. Fortunately, the university gave me a laboratory to, to borrow, and I carried on for the next couple of years uh, living off the DHSS, uh, which wasn't very much. But God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he shared them with me, <coughs> or certainly uh, the proceeds. Uh, and what I found when coming to God was that although financially my circumstances went downhill, spiritually, from a life point of view, I got a whole bunch richer. Um, I joined a family, and this family shared what they had. And I remember many days, purely coincidentally, turning up at Ken and Molly Cockcroft's house to round about half past four, five o'clock, and, and Molly and Ken saying, welcoming me with open arms, 
and saying, oh, Mike, you're just in time. Come and have some tea. And they, I, I remember now with great affection the love they showed me and the practical demonstration of, of grace and of food, basically, when I needed it. And uh, this is what, this is what the kingdom is about. Um, it, it's about being a family. Now, um, although I was, un, I was unemployed, I had learned about tithing. Now, when you've barely got enough to live, you think, tithing, is that a, 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 do you need to do that? Can you afford to do that? Well, actually, at the, at the time, and I still believe this, that actually, I don't believe you can afford not to do it. Because amazingly enough, I found that by being faithful and tithing on my benefit, I still had enough. And a man is rich when you have what you need, not necessarily an excess. An excess is just opportunity to give more away, if you like. Um, and I found that becoming into the kingdom, being part of the family, by giving stuff away, and I don't, I, I, I'm not sure about this of theology of that if you give away, you will get. I'm sure there are, there's, there's verses in it. But I found God to be faithful. I have found that uh, he's a giving father. And uh, he gives, he gave. Um, I needed rescuing, although I didn't know it at the time. When I became a Christian, I, I wasn't drug dependent. I wasn't in complete poverty. Um, I really didn't know any better. Um, I was an ordinary postgraduate student having a reasonable amount of fun at university, playing with electron microscopes and other lasers and kit and stuff like that. Actually, was having rather a lot of fun. Um, I lived in Hare Hills, which actually wasn't too bad at the time, just the odd riot or two, but it was cheap. Um, so, uh, sorry? Oh, and the Ripper, oh yes, yes, that's right. Yes, I was, yes, Jack the Ripper was around at the time as well. That made streets very quiet, as you can imagine. But God rescued me, uh, and he gave his life for me. Uh, I, I, I wanted to get married at one time because I'd met this lovely lady here, and I, I remember the occasion where we, we'd been going out for oh, a couple of years, and we wanted to get married. Um, I had no money, I had no job, and at that particular point, I, I didn't feel that I could actually say to Sarah, look, will you marry me? Because I had no prospects. If you look at it, you know, the way the world looks at it, if my potential prospective father-in-law said, oh, what are your prospects, Jimmy? Um, I would not have been, or Sonny. <laughs> yes, uh, Michael, that's it. Yes, that's my name. Um, he... Um, <laughs> Uh, he would have actually looked a bit askance and said, well, you know, you actually haven't got many prospects at the moment. I think I would rather like you to get yourself a job. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it came to a point where we, we, Sarah and I were just saying, look, we need to get married. And we went and saw our pastor, Dick Sims, at the time. And he said, yeah, you need to get married. Uh, you need to ask her. 
uh, okay, right. A and so I still hadn't got a job. I had no prospect of a job. <clears throat> I'd applied for jobs and I hadn't got them. I'd actually been offered a job. Rentkill offered me a job, um, but they wanted me to live in York. But I knew God wanted me to live here in Leeds. And so after having been offered the job, I said, well, look, um, I'm afraid I can't take it up. Although I was desperate for a job because my future, our future was wrapped up in this. But God said, no, I want you to live in Leeds. And so I rang them up and said, I'm sorry, I can't accept your job. And the, the, the branch manager over in, your, in Hull, who was the person I was going to work for, um, said, well, why? And I said, well, God's told me to live in Leeds. I need to live in Leeds. I, I cannot accept the job if you want me to live in York. Oh, okay. Well, you've been fair with me. I will be fair with you, and I'll refer you to the Leeds branch, and we'll see what happens. So he did. I went to see the Leeds branch manager, and we had a nice chat, but nothing came of it. April the 17th, 1983. God said, you need to get married. And so by faith, I asked Sarah to marry me on top of Bramley Hill, and she burst into tears, uh, which was not quite the response I was expecting. But ultimately, yes, the answer was, of course, in amongst the tears was yes. And I thought, okay, God, I've put my trust in you. Up to you now. On that Tuesday, because we had planned to go down the next weekend to, so I could ask Sarah's father. Next weekend uh, was the big day. On the Tuesday, I got a, rent a letter from Rentkill saying, we have a job for you. Would you like to come and talk to us? <sighs> Phew, Lord, that was great. <laughs> wow, that was pretty good. And, uh, and, and of course, I got the job, but I had this, this uh, ammunition to give back to my far prospective father-in-law. What are your prospects? Well, actually, I've got this letter. Oh, you've got the job, led. Wonderful, let's get the champagne out or whatever it was. Um, and so I needed a job, I needed a wife, God provided both. But there was another occasion when I got this job and I worked my way through Rent-A-Kill and, and, and wondered why um, things happened as they did. Um, um, Rent-A-Kill obviously was a nice steady salary, it wasn't a particularly good salary, but it it was one that uh, we could live on, we could buy a house on, I could tithe on, um, and I, we continued tithing because now it was the two of us, we continued tithing all the way, and we continued giving in the offering when we could. Um, but then there came a crunch time when Rentkill decided to make me redundant. And uh, this is a time when we got a mortgage, we'd got three young children, and uh, suddenly the rug is pulled out from underneath you. I don't know if any of you have been ever made redundant, but it, it's, it can be a pretty dire circumstance. But I remember at the meet, redundancy meeting, uh, where I was given notice of my redundancy, I said back to the man, my God is bigger than you. My God is bigger than this situation. 
And this somewhat took him aback and said, you know, that is amazing. I'm, I'm somewhat amazed at how, how you are calm, at, at how I wasn't really feeling terribly calm inside because I got a very uncertain future. But when I walked out of that, God stopped me in the car park and said, look in your hands. And I looked in my hand and I had this mental image of gold coins. And I said, I am giving you a golden opportunity with very great emphasis on the word gold. Okay, that sounds good to me. And, and we'd gone through in my career various stages where the job was being a bit uncertain because I wanted to do things honestly and and righteously, it didn't always fit with some of my managers because they wanted me to push the boundaries of what I felt was righteousness, and I didn't want to do that. And so there'd been stages where my position had been threatened because I, my face didn't fit, and I, I, I wouldn't do what they wanted to do, what they wanted me to do. But in this particular circumstance, when, we came, when I came back and I told Sarah what the score was, actually, do you know, we felt so much more at peace about the situation, which uh, is completely irrational from a world's point of view. But we, that's how we felt. We had a bit of savings, um, uh, not a lot, but we had a bit of savings. Uh, and I, I needed a job, and God made it possible for me to set up my own business. In reality, this was the spur that I needed because I was an expert in my particular field in pest control. I knew how to do it. I knew how to sell it. I knew how to run the business. I knew how to do the accounts and the commercial side of it. So all the training that I had had, all the various jobs that God had given me through Rent-A-Kill actually prepared me for this time. And then God prepared my spirit to be in a position to be able to say, Father, this is your doing. This is your hand. I trust in you. And that really was, was, was it. God, I found that God gives. Uh, here are some examples. He gave the Israelites their land. He gave the commandments and the law. Okay, now they, we, we may not live by the letter now. We live by the Spirit. But the commandments and the law were a big part of God's walk with his people. He gave us his son. He gave us his son. He gave us redemption and life. And he gave us his Holy Spirit. And I, there, there are many other things. And for me personally, and you'll notice some of the photographs in the background here, these are all photographs I've taken whilst out on fell runs. And for, for me, fell running is a, a way of getting into his wonderful creation. I get to the top of some hills. And you, we saw in the words, um, you, know, uh, you know, I see you in the mountaintop. And I, I see God in his creation. And when you, when you put yourselves in these places where you see the glory of God, that is inspiring to me. So if God gives, shouldn't we be like him? Um, Giving is part of our life in God. 
it, but it's not limited to, to money, because a, a lot of people think, well, I certainly used to, that giving was all about handing over the readies. Here's the basket coming round, put the readies in. Actually, life in the kingdom is not about money. It, it's, money is involved because it is a commodity, it makes things happen. But life in the kingdom is not the same. Uh, but giving is part of our life in the kingdom. But giving isn't just money, it could be giving your time. It could be giving your talents, it could be giving your labor, your love, your encouragement. This is where the kingdom is. Uh, the kingdom isn't in bricks and mortar. The kingdom is where the king reigns. Where does the king reign? In our hearts. He, he reigns in here. And it's, it's in here, uh, and what comes from there out to everybody else that makes the kingdom alive, that brings it alive, that makes the difference between someone living in the world who may be following a nice life, uh, but someone who is in the kingdom. And that was my experience when I first became a Christian, when I had very little. It was the kingdom heart in people that made the difference for me. Um, actually, I remember John coming up to me one day and saying, Mike, God's told me to give you 50 pounds. Uh, just when I needed it. Amazing. I had brown envelopes posted through my letterbox with 10 pound notes in. I had food given. This was family. This was the kingdom in practice. But it was giving. Um, some of it was money. A lot of it was time. A lot of it was love, affection, friendship, support, prayer, encouragement. That's all giving. So somewhere, someone needs what you can give. You can be God's answer to their prayer. They may need a tenner, in which case, open your wallet. But they may need something else. They may just need your time. They just may need a shoulder to cry on. They may need someone to actually encourage them in what they're doing, to uh, to, to, to take them from that hesitant step through to this bold walk with God. Um, Pete prayed for me this morning, uh, coming up. I needed his prayers. It was wonderful. That's part of being family. It's giving. So, what do we give to God? Does God need money? No, of course, but the kingdom does. It needs all sorts of things, things that we can provide. It does need money because very often we have to deal with things outside the kingdom that require some sort of remuneration, some sort of exchange. Uh, the days of bartering with a goat or, or a, a, a bushel of wheat are not completely gone, but uh, you know, go down to Leeds Market and say, oh, actually, I'd like that stereo, please. Um, how many goats would you like for it in exchange? Not gonna work. Um, 
so, so money is an important element of, of the kingdom of God and the relationship we have with God. Now, for me, the tithe is part of my covenant. This is how I feel about it. And there are verses you can read in Malachi uh, where uh, Malachi or Leviticus where God says, bring the whole tithe into the house. And let me show you. Let, see if I will not open the gates of heaven and bless you with more than you need. Okay, now that's a blessing. I was rich when I was a student, when I was poor, because I had what I needed. God has blessed me. I am richer still because I have more than I need. And there I actually what I have is I have an opportunity to give more. If the kingdom needs our tithes to run, to operate, to pay Mark's wages, for example, to pay for this building, then my objective when I set up the business was to be able to employ a full-time evangelist on my tithe. Okay? Because I'm, I'm not an evangelist and I, I don't have particular inclination for it, but I know that there are people who are. And if through my tithe I can pay for somebody to go out and win people for God, uh, or, or do whatever God needs them to do, then that I see is my role. Now, if the tithe, if the church needs, I don't know, 25, 30,000 to employ somebody to do that role, then it's up to me to actually earn 10 times that. Do you know? And so when you think, okay, well, let's say I need to provide 30,000 in my tithe, that means I've got to earn 300,000. Okay? That would be rather nice, wouldn't it? earning 300,000 because the great thing about the tithe is that you give 10% to God because that's all he requires is that I keep 90% okay and that's plenty um, and uh, that's my objective that is my objective to be able to support folks in the church with my tithe um, but of course, once you're earning 300,000 a year, there's quite a bit left over and you can do other things with it. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be in a position, I'm, I'm actually heading there now, where you know, I actually don't know what to do with some of it because we don't live extravagant and rich lives. You know, I don't need a yacht. I, I, I don't need a Ferrari. Uh, you know, uh, that's reminded me of a, a story of a, a, a chap who was caught embezzling and uh, when asked by the judge what he'd done with the money, he said, well, I spent it on uh, women, uh, drink, and fast cars, and I wasted the rest. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so I, I don't need fast cars. I have a lovely wife. I've got three lovely children uh, and a wonderful grandson and a wonderful son-in-law as well, who's taken up fell running, uh, which is... <laughs> I had no, inf no influence on that whatsoever, did I, Dan? <laughs> um, so, in practice, the tithe goes to the priests. It's interesting, when I was doing the research for this, was that the Levites had no inheritance in the land. 
The land was distributed amongst the other tribes of Israel. But the Levites had no inheritance. They were not given any of the land. But they were given was the tithe from the other tribes. That was their inheritance there. Um, and so the same goes here. The offering. For me, again, the offering is a gift. It's for me a tangible way of saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the glory and beauty of the hills. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you I have a nice house that I can live in. Thank you I have a job. I have a business that I can grow, that I can build. Um, thank you that, you know, I have my health at the moment. Um, we never know when things can happen. But thank you, Lord. And for me, again, this is just a way of saying so. But again, it doesn't have to be. Offering doesn't have to be in financial terms. It can be also in, 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 in what you do, um, who you do it with, and say, um, again, don't think that if you want to give, that it has to be in an envelope. You could, in fact, write down on your envelope, I give five hours of my time. Because you may not have very much money, and certainly when I was a student, I had very little to give. And there were times when I didn't have enough to give in the offering unless God specifically said, you need to do this. And there was one occasion where that happened, where during the Lewis Palau tent crusade, we used to have all sorts of tent crusades in Leeds, which were great fun. And it was amazing to see God doing things there. And uh, I, was, I was completely skinned at the time. And I was going to this, I was actually helping out because I was giving my time to serve as a steward in these ten crusades. And Louis Palau challenged us and said, we need money to run these crusades. Somebody has to pay um, all the PA team, they've got, got to buy the equipment, we've got to put the tents up. We've got to, it, it takes money. So we ask, can you help support us? And God said to me, you need to give. But I haven't got any money, God but you've got a stereo system. And this stereo system was precious to me because I'd spent a long time saving up for it. It was a Hitachi stereo amp and it got a Panasonic, there was a separate system uh, which in those days was quite fancy and I got some nice big speakers and a nice big deck and God said sell it and give the money. Do you know actually when God says something and it's so clear it wasn't that difficult. And I sold it within 24 hours to my flatmate. I said, do you want to buy this? And he said, oh, yes. So I got 160 quid for it, which was cheap compared with what it had originally cost me. And I put all that money into the, uh, the pot. And I said, God, there you go. It's yours. Do with it as you will. Um, I give this freely. And when God asks us to give, you know, he gives us this, the grace and the strength to actually do this freely and cheerfully. If you cannot give with grace and cheerfully, don't. Okay? Because if you're begrudging giving God this, then it's not going to do you any good. Giving is something that's good for you to give. I mean, doesn't it say in the Bible, it is better to give than receive? 
I tell you, it's very nice to receive when you haven't got anything, but actually, if you can give as well, then again, it's part of our kingdom life. So, give cheerfully. Um, and finally, just as a, a, a little thing, he reminds us that he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And uh, uh, that has been my experience in that um, at times when I haven't had much, I have given and God has returned to me. And I believe now that part of my role within the church, part of my role within the kingdom is to generate finances and to begin to oil the wheels of the kingdom. And finally, enjoy it. Enjoy your giving as I enjoy my far running. So thank you very much. house we are real but we also make mistakes and when we do we make sure we say I'm sorry we give second chances to anyone we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive so do loud and we give the best hugs we are family and in this house that means we love